Ayan Hersi Ali did something quite remarkable this week. She wrote an article that probably, if you were one of a member of the new atheist community, this would have absolutely just gutted and demoralized you. Working as kind of a, a riff off of the lecture by Bertrand Russell of 1927 called Why I Am Not a Christian, she wrote an article this week, and it got a lot of, it got a lot of attention, called Why I Am Now a Christian. Now, I'm guessing that a lot of you don't know who Ayan Hirsi Ali is, so I'm going to tell you that. Um, she has been a very outspoken, very well-known atheist. She's been part of the sort of what you'd call the new atheist movement. Um, her name has been bandied about, and she's shared the stage with people like Christopher Hitchin and Richard Dawkins and, and so forth. She came out of Islam. Uh, she was radicalized at a young age. She, she broke away from that. She was very attracted to Western ideas then, European ideas, uh, Enlightenment thinking, all that went with it. But when she left Islam, she just trashed it all and decided she was an atheist. And she lived that way, and she believed that way for 20 years. And then she wrote that article this week. And people just, it was just starting to look like something was changing in her thought process. And then she just kind of came out of the closet, if you will. And uh, this is what, I'll just give you a paragraph from a lengthy article. She said, I have also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable. Indeed, very nearly self-destructive. Atheism failed to answer a simple question, what is the meaning and purpose of life? Now, I cannot tell you a lot more about her journey than that. I don't really know a lot more. I don't know what church she goes to. I, I mean, she doesn't say, I came to Christ. She says, you know, I've turned to Christianity. So there's a lot of questions there that are unanswered. But you know what? I welcome her. I say, man, on behalf of the Lord's people, you know, you who were once outside and now claim to be in, we, we want to encourage and welcome you. I think of Paul, and you know, Paul had a difficult time coming into the church, um, and, uh, and he says in Galatians, or he writes in Galatians, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So, you know what? We glorify God um, because here's a prominent atheist. Not the first time in my lifetime a very prominent atheist has turned to Christ, um, but it's always fun when it happens, and, and we welcome her. So we're getting close to being done with Colossians. I think two more sermons after today, but we had just two uh, simple little verses today that are kind of, they kind of sit and bracket out as, as sort of a, a just, when we read it, you probably said, well, that's definitely a sermon in, in two verses, and, and that's what we're going we're gonna to go with. Paul, remember, he was talking about wanting an open door to, to share the gospel. Um, he talked about the, the mystery of Christ, declaring the mystery of Christ. And we saw that that's really one and the same thing as the Great Commission, taking the gospel to the nations. So then he, he kind of, after looking at his own need for prayer for that, he says, you know, now you, Joe Christian... Um, you need to be about the same work. He doesn't quite say it that way. What he ends up saying is, is, here's how you ought to behave around outsiders. And the obvious import of what he's telling us to do with outsiders is to bring them in. So this is the idea today. Call the outsiders 
in. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at five ways. I think it came out to five. Um, the ways in which we are to live and behave in order to bring them there. Yeah? So you're with me? Like everybody wants to know how to be a better evangelist, correct? Thank you, Cece. Um, so let's go with that. So, let's, so first of all, live wisely. Live wisely. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. You know from biblical language, um, you've read the Bible enough and we've talked about it enough, that when you see walk, what do you think? You think live, because that's how we, in English, we would say live your life this way. They would say walk this way. And this, this is how they are to walk. They are to walk in wisdom. And this is especially as they live their life toward outsiders. It's living a certain way, knowing, <laughs> you know, the old the King James, they, they talked about circumspectly. I think it was in Ephesians. It's a very similar passage. He uses the word circumspectly, meaning I know people are watching me. So be a hypocrite. Um, is no, I'm kidding. I, I'm not really suggesting you become. But that you might think that I'm suggesting such a thing. But we are not talking about being hypocritical. But we are talking about the fact that though we are not actors, I, I speak for myself. Maybe you are an actor. But it, but I mean, we did literally for a while have an actor uh, attending our church. So I have to be careful. But um, yeah, we're not we're not actors. Yet we know we have an audience. We. It's, you see, it's, it's, it's not being a hypocrite, but it's knowing that people are watching. That, you know, we, we, Paul could have said live holy lives, which would have been correct, and he says that elsewhere. But here, what does he say? He says live wisely. And that word wisely you know, can be understood different ways, but here I think it means shrewdly. Think about um, Matthew where it says, Behold, I am send you, sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, and depending on what Bible translation you're reading, sometimes it says clever, other times it says shrewd. So the wisdom we're talking about is strategic. How you live your life in front of other people, toward outsiders, it should be a kind of, yeah, it should be kind of strategic. We should be thinking, all right, people are watching me. How do I live glorifying God, honoring God. That's my desire anyway. If nobody's watching, I would still want that. But knowing that people are watching, how, how do I live in such a way that it will be attractive for the sake of the gospel? Let me give you just one little tiny practical example. I thought, well, what's an example of what you're saying, Jay? And I thought, you know, um, take this as a for instance. Say you're a young couple. And you've been walking with the Lord for a while. You've reached a certain level of maturity in your faith. And you know certain things to be true. You know that Christ is to be your higher, highest treasure. You know that the world is not satisfying. And that, that putting all of your time and effort just into having worldly things is not where your happiness and joy lies. So, so you have a different attitude toward money. You handle it responsibly. In honor, you pay your debts on time. You don't get overextended into credit card debt because, well, I don't, you know, I don't need everything that the world is, you know, trying to get me to buy. And and see if you just, and that's just one little example. But living wisely, like in the area of finances, could be a powerful testimony. You have another, you know, another young couple maybe living for the world, and they're they're in debt up to their eyeballs, and they look at this simple Christian couple, and just that one little thing of wise living could be something that might make them ask the question, well, you guys seem different. Like, you don't, you're not in all this stuff. What's, what's that about? 
Understand that's just one little example. And there could be many, many other ways that we could talk about living wisely. But the world is watching, and, and this is so that we get outsiders to come in. We want a lot of stories of people being attracted to the gospel. So live wisely. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. He says making the best use of the time. Now time should be a pretty self-explanatory word. Um, but in scripture it's not completely self-explanatory what kind of time we're talking about. There's different kinds of time. Different ways of thinking of relating to time. Here the word yes in some instances it just can mean the duration of time or whatever it might be. But here it's talking about opportunity time that kind of time the kind of time you have for a while but then you don't ever get it back i guess we don't ever get any time back but you know what i'm saying like there was an opportunity a chance it was a time it was a day seize the day right carpe diem it was that moment you think about and i'm not going to do william wallace because i've done this before i'm not i refuse to do it a second time but in that great speech you know where he's talking to the troops and and he and they're like ah yeah let, let's all go because the english are there and they're there's so much there are more of them and they got better armor so let's just all go home and he's like you know well sure yeah if you go home if you run you might live but you know and if you fight you might die but which one of you, you know, years from now when you're on your deathbed and you look back at this, which one of you wouldn't trade all that they've done and all that they've had for just one moment to come back here and say that, you know, our enemies, you can take our land, but you can't take our freedom. And, and what is he saying there? He's saying this is a moment and this moment won't come again, which is true of every moment in one sense. But this is one of those pregnant moments, one of these opportunity moments, and we need to seize it for the Lord. We're not going to, you know, what Christian, how many of you have ever wimped out when you thought you should share the gospel or at least talk about Christ and then you didn't? Two of you? Three, oh, okay. All right. I did see more hands than normal on that, which is good because we're being honest, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I've been there too. Like we go, oh, man, if I'd only just open my mouth. Right? Yeah, we don't, we don't want that to be just the whole story of, of our lives, right? That, that every single moment we, we miss, we want to have an eye for the divine appointments. That's what some people refer to these as. These little moments where something just kind of opens before you, the open door that we've been praying for. And you're in a conversation and all at once it's like, oh, hey, ding, ding, ding. You ever have that? It's like spidey senses. Yeah, you're talking to someone and just a certain word and then a, and then a phrase and then a, a response and then it's like, ooh, I could totally talk about the Lord right now. That's what we want to be ready for. That's, a, that's what we have to be armed and looking for and, and primed and ready for. Maybe you say, hey, I see you're, you know, you're having hard, a hard time right now. Can I pray for you? That's not really that hard, is it? That's low-hanging fruit. Can I pray for you? And if they say yes, gladly, maybe pray for them right then in that moment and, and you finish in Jesus' name and maybe this goes somewhere. Maybe, maybe God takes you somewhere, but you, you seize the day, you take the moment. Are you looking? Are you ready? Pray for an awareness of those moments. Because we can be dull, let's face it. Right? Men? I mean, that's what my wife tells me. Uh, so, you know... <laughs> I'm teasing. Don't throw Debbie under the bus. She never, she never says that. That's just a cultural idea, right? It's that men are all like Homer Simpson. We're dull. We, we're going to miss it somehow. We, whatever you're, be 
sensitive. Look for those moments. Thirdly, speak graciously. Speak graciously. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So grace, our, our grace should just sort of drop from our lips. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says something very similar. There's, there's a lot of parallels between Ephesians and Colossians. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So you, know, you can imagine some of what that would be. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So as you're speaking, remember the moment's not going to come again. Um, speak graciously to people. Let, and, and when it says speak graciously, it doesn't necessarily mean that every sentence is an explanation of the gospel of God's grace. Rather, this is grace in a broader sense. It's like speaking goodness to people, speaking blessing to people. I know we live in an age, and, and, and well, I count myself among those who feel like free speech should be pretty unhindered. Like, unless you're telling people to go burn down the Capitol or something, you know, most speech should be protected, and we're, you know, it's, people say, well, you know, words don't, words don't hurt anyone. But here's the thing. On another level, as Christians, we have to understand words are powerful. Words are amazing. You, think of all the, how many words, words, do you carry around with you that someone has spoken to you? For ill and for good. Like there are probably still ringing in your brain, like maybe even me just saying that, you're already remembering just an unkind word that was said. And when I say unkind, something that just cut you to the quick. It was, a, it was a statement about you, your lack of talent, your lack of whatever. And it just stuck and it's just ridden with you the, your whole life. Those words can be curses, as it were. But on the other hand, think about the words of blessing. Hopefully you've had some words of blessing in your life. And I, I don't mean you know, like a full benediction or something like that. I'm saying just a genuine statement by somebody that actually blessed you. And, and those words just stuck. Like for the rest of your life, you could hear those words. I remember um, when my grandfather was dying, he was kind of like my father to me because my father wasn't in the home, raised by my mom and grandparents. And uh, he was a little distant. He could be a little aloof with his words. I, I respected him deeply and loved him very much. And a couple days before he died, he was suffering from uh, emphysema. And he was struggling, and I was sitting next to him on the couch, and I was just talking to him. And uh, all at once, completely uncharacteristically, he said, Boy, you know I think really highly of you. <clears throat> right? I mean, you do? I'd, I'd never heard him say that before. And, it was, and, and you, know, you think about all the you know, biblical characters, the patriarchs that would bless their children on, on their deathbed. And that's what it was. I just took that and it just, I didn't try to. It just stuck. It's like, oh, he thinks really highly of me. Wow. Words are powerful. The one on the inside who knows Christ has something that the one on the outside does not have. We have the grace of God. We have all of the wonderful promises of God's word that, that have been spoken to us and received and internalized and understood. And so for us, it should be easy for us to bless people. 
It should be easy for the things that we say to be gracious to them. Man, good job on that deal. You know, that was well done. Or, man, I, you know, I really respect your talent in this or that area or whatever. Man, I'm praying for you. I know you're going through a lot. Just gracious things, kind things. Think about people who seem incapable of saying something nice about another human being. And usually when you look at it, why do you think that is? Because they're a jerk, that's why. No, it's, it's probably because nobody has ever really spoken blessing into their life or at a critical moment when they were young and they needed it, they didn't receive it. But we have been given immeasurable grace, astounding grace. It should be easy for us. Freely you've been given, you know, freely you should give. Think about Paul when he was on that ship. You remember when we went through the book of Acts? You remember Paul, he was out there on that ship that was uh, lost at sea for many, many days. And then they're going to shipwreck on Malta. Paul kind of knows that because God's declared it to him. And it's the night before that and everybody's spirits are down. They haven't eaten for days because they're all fasting and, and it's been rough seas. And, and then Paul gathers them all together. 276 people on board that ship. And he gathers them together and, and he just kind of speaks well to them. He just speaks of good things that God is going to do and that God is going to bring them all safely to this island and, and so forth. And then he, said, he, he says, take, come on, let's eat. And he breaks bread with them. And he eats in front of them by example, and then they're encouraged. How does he do that? It's because he's received God's goodness and grace and promise, and he's able to just give that, and they were all encouraged. That ought to be how we are in the world. We ought to be like little you know, versions of Paul in our workplace and our schools are like that ship and we're just able, able to be gracious to others. We've been given so much. Remember the things that Christ has given you. Remember his favor and be free and generous with the people around you. And that will, that will attract them. They'll be like, well, how can that person be so nice or be so gracious do they want something from me? They might suspect it first, right? But maybe if they're around you long enough, they're like, wow, this is just coming from a place of, of goodness in them, of, of some grace or, or something, and they'll be drawn to Christ. All right, next, speak winsomely. Paul says our, our grace, gracious speaking should be seasoned with salt. And there's a problem with salt, um, other than that it corrodes your car and stuff like that. There's a problem with salt when it pops up in Scripture because you have to ask yourself, okay, what does it mean that something is salty? Uh, we use that today. People say, oh, that was really salty, and that means something altogether different. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, salt can have a preserving effect. We know that, and that's probably kind of some of the background at, at, at certain points where the word is used. Um, certainly Christians in the world have a, preser- a you know, preserving effect on the culture in many ways. But here, I think it's very clear that it means the seasoning aspect of salt. Salt is like the original flavor enhancer. I was talking to a guy the other day. Uh, we'll call him our guy because uh, he's a, a member of our church. Our guy had uh, a trainer, guy, trainee guy. We'll call him trainee guy. Um, and then uh, there was another guy in this story that was, uh, we'll call him overzealous guy. So our guy had 
trainee guy out somewhere, and uh, I guess they were separated for a moment, and overzealous guy, overzealous Christian evangelist guy, got this, this young guy by the lapels and was, and was giving him the gospel hard, like, you know, quick and fast and, and uh, overwhelming, and, and uh, a little bit later, our guy um, is talking to trainee guy, and trainee guy's like, oh, can you believe that? And he's going into all this, you know, like how he'd been, you know, waylaid by this you know, drive-by evangelism, and, uh, but the cool thing was it was like bad cop, good cop, because then our guy could talk to trainee guy, like, winsomely, like, oh, you need to back off a little bit, and come in, and it just, it, it, so, you know, I, I don't want to speak ill of evangelist, you know, over, over zealous as evangelist guy, uh, it's better to share Christ badly than not at all, wouldn't you agree, but, and it did open a door, but it, but it, was, it was better, it, it came across better when our guy was able to do it the way Paul's talking about here, winsomely. You know, uh, uh, how can we tell people about Jesus in a salt shaker kind of mod- modality? How do we do it winsomely? That's, that's the question at hand. And let me suggest that we, we kind of think about it with the salt analogy. How many are good cooks in here? Um, yeah, as few, few are willing to admit that, right? That's good, 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 yeah. I'm sure you are. Bring a little bit more of it my way is all I'm saying, but you know. Uh, yeah, no, but when you, there's two kinds of cooks. There are those that really, really follow the recipe, and if it says a quarter of a teaspoon of salt, that is, they're going to get, they might even get it out and measure, you know, down to the gram or the micro, whatever it is, you know. But um, yeah, then there's the other, the other cook, Usually the better cooks, they just, they salt and then taste it. Now, if they're bringing it to the 5-2, they go and get a clean spoon, and then they <laughs> taste it again after they've salted a little bit more. I'm sure that's how that works in, all, in everyone's home. But anyway, they, they, you know, they come at it from that standpoint. So when we think about our conversation with unbelievers and the whole salt analogy, I would suggest to you that, that you start with the sprinkling idea. Yeah, like you're talking to someone, you don't know where they are, you sense that they're not a believer, and you're trying to share with them, but you're looking for that opening, and they're talking about how bad the world has gotten to be, you know? Um, maybe, there's, they're, maybe they're wanting to make America great again. Uh, you, you could have that whole conversation, or you could say, yeah, you know what, though? Jesus said the world was going to get a lot worse before it got better, but that we shouldn't fear because he overcame the world. Now, that's a sprinkle now you taste. If their next comment is, how about those chiefs? <laughs> that sprinkle was already sufficient for that moment, right? Because you, you do, at the, the, it seems to me like the, the worst thing you can do at that point is go, I guess they didn't hear me. I said, Jesus, you, know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to take the whole box of salt and upend it to, you know, to thinking that you just didn't get. Like, like, I think there's a, a point to be made for backing away, but being ready. And, and that's, you've planted that flag, you've, you've, you've salted, and hopefully they will come back to it. And if they don't, the truth is they're, they're close to it, and they don't really want to hear. We have an obligation to speak to people and call people. But the Bible seems to encourage us here, and I think this is a good thing to take away, is that we are to go at it wisely, shrewdly, and to season it with salt. To do it in in that kind of way. Look at where Paul goes. He says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
that you might know how you answer each person. What, what does that imply? That if we're answering each person? It implies that, that you are engaged in a conversation. Am I right? It reminds me a lot of what Peter says. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared, because there's that time thing, right? Like it could happen now. Being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So you're in conversation. You've sprinkled some salt. They're open. They ask, well, where is this coming from? Why do you have this hope or whatever the case might be? And that's your open door. And, that, and that's when you strike. Yeah. I don't know, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, I can have fun with this stuff, I tell you. Finally, tailor your message. Tailor your message. Paul writes something really remarkable here. I don't know if you caught it, but he says evangelism is always the same. It always looks the same. It's cookie cutter making. You just make every cookie the same, right? Correct. You are, you are with me. I'm so, you're, you're awake. That's good. He, what he says, he's, um, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So wait a second. It's actually backward to what I said. Isn't that? It's like totally the reverse. Murray Harris, uh, you don't know Murray Harris, but he's uh, actually he's an old prof that I had back in the day, but he wrote a, a very good commentary in the book of Colossians. And uh, he does something nice after he does all of the language work and stuff. He gives like a little, here's my little translation of the snippet of, that we're looking at. And then he'll give a paraphrase. Now listen to his paraphrase because I think it's really, really good and to the point. He says, let your conversation always be graciously winsome and seasoned with the salt of wit and pungency so that you may know how you should give an answer suitable for each occasion and each and." Uh, each need to each separate individual. So, he, so he's saying, and, and I think this is what Paul is saying. I think he's saying, look, when you share, when you're, you know, when you're out there with the salt shaker and so forth, you're going to run into different kinds of people in different kinds of circumstances and different kinds of situations. So just be situationally aware. Are you generally situationally aware people? Men are very proud of being situationally aware. Right, that's a battlefield thing. Like I'm always, I'm always aware where the enemy is. Yesterday or the day before, I was uh, trying to do trim in my dining room, and I got what's the opposite of situationally aware? Uh, Stupid? Um, I don't know. Because I, I was uh, putting on trim, and I took a brad nailer and managed to put a brad nail through one part of my thumb and then out the other. So yeah, I know. I just was looking for sympathy mostly, but. Um, <laughs> but but we're trying to be, it's better to be situationally aware. Like we always feel better if, we're, if we kind of, if we you know, read the room, understand the situation. Putting it in New Testament context, you might say, am I talking to a Jew or to a Greek? Right? Am I talking to somebody that, that has three or four advanced degrees or am I talking to a high school dropout? Is the person I'm speaking with here super, super open and they're hanging on every single thing I'm saying like Lydia listening to Paul or is it someone listening to me with their eyes squinted and it's like King Agrippa listening to Paul because he knows stuff but he's not really that open for, for his own life. So... Um, if you do all of these things and you do them right, you will always win every single person to Christ. Uh, if No, all right? 
No, this is just sort of best practices. This is the way we should go about doing it. Um, be aware. The other day I heard a, a story about a, a Christian evangelist. I do believe I actually watched the video. I think I saw it on YouTube or something. I believe it was originally probably a TikTok video. Uh, tell me if you think this fits our passage. So American evangelist lady goes to Jerusalem, goes into the Orthodox quarter, the ultra-Orthodox, on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday, and she starts preaching the gospel at the top of her lungs to see how many of these Orthodox Jewish people are going to respond. Did not, did not go well. Did not go well. She did not read the situation. Either that or she knew the situation and she was doing it just to make a, a video to, the, to make the point. I don't know. I don't want to judge the lady. Maybe she was really sincere. But that's not being aware, is it? That's not thinking about how do I bring a word in season, in the right time, in the right way to actually get some, some good response. So all things being equal, better strategies. Start with wisdom. Start with shrewdness. Maybe starting the conversation in an offensive, in-your-face kind of hostile way isn't the best way to go about winning friends and influencing people. Redeem your time. Look for the moments. God does give us those moments. We want those moments. Watch for them. Be aware of them. Speak graciously. That's low-hanging fruit, people. So I know it's really hard for some of us because we weren't raised that way. Maybe we didn't get, but be gracious. You'll be amazed at, at how that can open people up. Speak winsomely, that it's salty in the good sense of the word salty. Speak winsomely and, and, and yeah, you, um, be aware of the situation, who you're speaking to. How will they receive it? What will, they, what will, be, what will they be open to? Where can I take the conversation? Where, where should I maybe hold back? If you're an outsider today, you know, maybe you're affronted by the fact that I would refer to you as an outsider. Um, that's not me trying to stick a finger in your eye. That's just I mean, all we're really saying there, and all Paul is saying when he uses that phrase, is there are people who are outside of Christ. They're not in relationship with Christ. If you're not a believer, you would admit that, right? You're not inside the group. You're not part of the church. You're not among his people. But that doesn't mean we don't love you. <laughs> and that doesn't mean we don't want good things for you. We, we, just, we would just encourage you to, to hear the gospel. The gospel is a beautiful and wondrous story of God's redeeming love. Sent in the form of his son into the world to reclaim and redeem the world. He shed his blood on the cross. He died. And on the third day he rose from the grave. And anyone, anyone who turns from death and sin and turns to Christ will find life in his name. And that's what we proclaim to you. That's what we want you to hear. That's the salt. Maybe I'm dumping the whole thing of salt on you because this is my one shot. I don't know. But, uh, but if it starts a conversation, maybe you're not there right this instance, but if, if it starts a conversation, know that we want to have that conversation with you. We want to be winsome. Because Christ is absolutely worth our, our every effort. And we want you to go from, the Bible says, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. And that's my time. So, so let's, perfect, that was absolutely dead on. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we do, uh, we do pray right now that uh, 
that you will use your word and you'll use us and give us many, many opportunities, um, many ways and, and, and chances that we can see. Lord, we can always speak graciously to people. Give us that, give us that shrewdness and that, that desire to just be gracious people to, in, in our conversation. But then, Lord, help us to, help us to see those, those times, those opportunities that present themselves and may we then speak on your behalf and, and speak winsomely and, and, and boldly and clearly so that by all means we might win some. And uh, Lord, we just, we'll just give you all the praise and the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen.